Welcome to A Well-Cared-For Human, the podcast that tries to convince you that you are 100% normal and an even better than okay example of the human species, despite the fact that sometimes we feel like the craziest, most incapable, or worthless creatures on the face of this planet. I'm Corey, an author, a creative, and the host of the show. Whatever you're bringing to the table today, I hope this episode proves to be a dose of inspiration for you on your quest to become a well-cared-for human. You can find the episode show notes, your free wellness blueprint, and more at awellcaredforhuman.com. And as always, thank you for listening. Hello humans, it's your host Corey, and today we're going to talk about what to do with difficult people. Or if we're being really generous here, we could call it how to love people we don't like. It's definitely hard, isn't it? There are just some people who get under our skin and make us want to rip our hair out. There are some people that when they open their mouths, the temperature of my blood starts rising until I can practically feel it boiling in my veins. And of course there's a range to this. There are people that we're close to that are hard to deal with. But then there are people who are further removed from our lives, who are more of an idea than an actual person. For example, liberals, conservatives, Black Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter, the Russians, the Chinese. Those are ideas, words that trigger certain feelings about people who are different than ourselves, rather than the actual person. And for better or worse, my experience with people has always been a mixed bag. It's often not so cut and dry. There are people that I love dearly who are very sweet and kind to me, who are important to me, but we don't vote the same way. There are people who fundamentally, I think, are incredibly flawed, (laughs) and yet we do share the same ideas of how to improve economics or policy or what to do about the refugee crisis. It's hard for me to know exactly whether or not a person is, quote, good or bad just based on their behavior. And part of that is because of my background. If you listened to the Who Killed My Mother story, you'll know that my family has always been a very mixed bag. On one hand, there were these beautiful, loving moments And then at other times, these were horribly dangerous, toxic people. I don't know if I've ever had a relationship with anyone that was purely good or bad. And I'm reminded of this and where the idea for today's topic came from was because this week I made the mistake (laughs) of reading through the reviews of Who Killed My Mother, the book on Amazon. Reading reviews is something that an author should never do. But I do catch myself doing it once in a while, and I happen to pop on to the book page for Who Killed My Mother, and most of the stories and responses to that book are very positive. But of course, like any writer, I don't fixate on all the great things that people are saying. I focused on the one negative review that was a little bit higher up on the list, in which someone basically said that it was a story of just another white trash family. And... I was really upset to hear that because, of course, no one wants to hear their mother be called trash. But also, it made me really think about this idea of trash. Why do we call some people trash? Trash is something that we throw away, that we discard, that we get rid of. And I just don't hold the personal belief that people are trash. I don't think we should ever throw a person away or think that they are beyond help. 
And it just reminded me that a lot of people have ideas about who people are without really knowing them. And from the outside, looking at my mother's struggles with mental health, with addiction, with her poverty, I can definitely see how she would be surrounded or shrouded by the idea of white trash to someone on the outside looking in. But you would know that I feel quite differently if you've listened to the Who Killed My Mother podcast. I think my mother's story is much more complex than that. I think her trauma, I think her PTSD, I think her untreated mental illness, all those things that someone would consider, quote, trash-like, really just covered up what an amazing, strong, and beautiful and kind person that she was. So reading that reminded me that there are people who view the world that way. And it made me question and think, why do people so often do that? Why do we align ourselves with certain ideas? I am this, this, and this. They are that, that, and that. And it just affirms for me this notion that people do that to make the world smaller, to make it more manageable, to make it more understandable. Because stories like mine, stories like my family's, there are so many different factors intersecting that it can be really hard to understand how things like that can happen, how lives can turn out like that. And so it's much easier to place the blame or the circumstances on the person rather than look at some of these larger systemic issues that create and sustain generational trauma. So what do we do when we encounter people we don't like? Well, if we're talking about this broader scale, as what I just mentioned, where it's not really a specific person in your life, it's more of an idea, what do you do when you encounter an idea you don't like? It's very possible that you have heard the story about the two wolves that live inside us. There is a wolf of love and a wolf of hate. And this has always been posed to me as a story that an elder native told their grandson. And the grandson asks their elder, well, which wolf will win? And the elder says, the one that you feed. And so I suggest that there are two wolves that live inside us, but one is the wolf of compassion. And one is the wolf of discord, of separation, of other. The wolf of discord is our anger, it's our fury, it's our emotional turmoil. It would be what would drive someone to leave a review calling people white trash, or to get on social media and rant about something that upsets us. That's the wolf of discord. And the other wolf that opposes the wolf of discord is the wolf of compassion, and even the word compassion can sound very frou-frou for some people, but stay with me. Feeding the wolf of compassion is finding a way to relate to someone even when you don't like them. It's understanding that no matter what worldview they have, no matter what beliefs they have, no matter what they do or say, and no matter how much you completely dislike or even hate those things, they're just another person trying to navigate their environment. They're just another person trying to make sense of the world. So as in the case of the person who wrote the shitty review, that is just another person who is trying to make sense of the world around them, who's trying to label those are bad people. And they need that label because it feels safer to know who are the bad people, who are the good people, so that they can align and build their life in a way that makes sense to them, that feels safe to them. So when I tell myself those things, that's me feeding the wolf of compassion for this person instead of feeding that discord and that otherness, 
That person will never understand what it was like to have a mother like mine. They'll never understand how beautiful and wonderful she was in so many other ways, so on and so forth. Instead of reacting that way, looking at them as they really are, understanding their capacity for experiencing the world and how different that might be from your own experience. And I use this trying to feed the wolf of compassion for pretty much everyone on the internet who pisses me off. (laughs) Whether they be politicians or public figures or someone who says something that I think is stupid or crazy one week or so on and so forth, it doesn't matter. Instead of getting myself all worked up and upset about it, I try to feed the wolf of compassion instead and understand that that's just a human having a human experience and everything that they're saying is coming from the place of how they view the world. It doesn't mean that it's truth, it just means that's how they view the world. And when I accepted that, that someone else's opinion is just their worldview, it's not truth, it does make it a lot easier to feed the wolf of compassion. Because when I would get upset, so for example, someone calling my mother white trash, to get upset about that, it's because I'm upset that the possibility that that could be true, right? I'm like, how dare you insinuate that that's true? But I don't believe it's true. I don't view my mother that way at all. And I don't believe anyone with an informed opinion would view her that way. And so instead of getting upset about it, and whether that be about my mom or about any other issue that exists in the world that people have a tendency to have opinion about, which as we know, anyone who spends any time on the internet, that is frequent. Everyone has opinion about everything on the internet. But when people share opinions I don't like, I simply remind myself, all that they are telling me is their worldview. They're not telling me truth. They're not telling me reality. They're just sharing their location services. (laughs) They've just dropped a pin and told me where they are. That's it. That's all they've done. And so that does make it easier for me to practice compassion. And so when people fire you up, when people start getting you upset about something, yes, absolutely keep signing those petitions. Absolutely call your senators and protest or do whatever you want to do. You don't have to make yourself crazy or give yourself an aneurysm from fury and frustration by assuming that the other person has an accurate worldview or that what they're saying even remotely approaches the truth. You can just treat it as location services like that is where that person is that is what that person adopts as a worldview it's not any more real than my own experience which from the buddhist perspective is nothing none of us are having real experiences (laughs) this is all just a dream so no need to make yourself upset about it and i also try to use my reactions to other people as a sensor for what really matters to me So if I get really upset about something that someone says or that someone does, for example, if someone starts drilling in the Arctic and I don't think they should, or someone starts caging children at the border and I don't think they should, whatever it is, I use that as a means to get clear on what I really care about or what I have an unhealed wound about. If I'm getting upset about something, it's an opportunity for me to identify where I need to do some self-work. There might be something that needs to be healed, or there might be some external work that needs to be done, some sort of cause that I could champion or do what I can to help in some way. I try to just treat it as feedback 
I find something on the internet, there's some difficult people saying difficult things, and it's making me crazy, or at least it's making me feel crazy, I can take a step back and ask myself, what is this telling me? Is this telling me that this is a pressure point, an old wound that I need to give more attention to? Why do I get so upset about the idea of kids being separated from their parents? Is there some parental wound here that I have not yet addressed? Is there anything that I can do about that? So I just treat it as feedback rather than letting my emotions balloon to the point where they carry me away. And also there's always the option of taking a break from the news and from the internet when we need to. Our brains were not built to process this much insanity at once. There was a time when we lived in little villages and the only things we dealt with were the problems of our immediate vicinity, of our tribe. But now we hear about the problems all over the whole world, all of the time. And I don't know that our brains have evolved the capacity to do that to keep up with the pace in which globalization has reshaped our lives. So it might just help to treat things like reviews of your book, (laughs) things people say on the internet, treat the internet as a whole like a mirage, (laughs) not get too emotionally invested in anything that's happening on there. Just treat it like the matrix. It's fake. It's all fake. AI is going to make us believe it's all fake soon anyway. Maybe just embrace that belief sooner rather than later. But let's say they're not fictional people who are upsetting you, people who are out in the world doing things that you find difficult. Let's say it's a real-life person who, in your day-to-day life, may be hurting you. One of the most challenging people in my life was my Uncle Joe, who I refer to often in the Who Killed My Mother podcast, the man who I believe killed my mother. Very violent person, a very devious and dangerous person. I found him very difficult to love and accept on any level. And it wasn't until I began to learn about the things that my grandfather did to them, to my mother and him when they were children, that I began to see him in any kind of light that could remotely be called compassionate. And so now I hold the belief that absolutely I do not agree with anything that he did, and I found him to be a very dangerous person. But at the same time, I view him as the same product of generational trauma as my mother. You can either fold one way, the way my mother did, into victimhood, or you can fold the way that he did, which is one of violence and chaos. But the root cause is the same problem. And then, in the case of my father, someone who intentionally, emotionally, and mentally abused me, trying to break me down, trying to suffocate any sense of self-esteem or self-worth and then looking back and the anger I would feel about how could you possibly do that to your own child how could you say in the same breath that you love your child and then tell them that they're worthless and that they would always be worthless and so there was a lot of anger there there was a lot of pain there and it was very difficult for me to accept him at all or feel any kind of compassion for him at all So it feels harder to feed the wolf of compassion in instances like this. If someone hurts you directly and it feels very personal, it feels like they hurt you because they can, it's hard to feel compassionate toward that person. So what do we do with difficult people like that? Well, first and foremost, I always argue that we can and should create boundaries. Joe is dead, so I don't have to have have boundaries against him. Uh, But when he was alive... I would never go to my grandmother's house when he was there. I would never 
subject myself to his presence. I created a very firm physical boundary so that he could not have access to me, and therefore there was no threat of danger or physical assault. And then, same for my father, I set the boundary of no longer speaking to him, no longer giving him access to me or my life. And I have many other episodes on this about setting boundaries, about how to have healthy boundaries with people in your life. But if you can, remove yourself from an environment, or if it's not possible to remove yourself from an environment, or perhaps the situation is not so drastic that you need to remove the person from your life. You just need some distancing, some conversation about what is and isn't acceptable in your relationship. But removing yourself from a situation, I've said before, is one of the most loving things you can do. Often two people, they do a dance together. I believe Pema Chodron said that they do a dance, the abuser and the abused. There is this habitual pattern. There's a habit in their interactions. And for you to step out of that pattern, for you to remove yourself completely from the equation, can be a great form of love for both you and them because now they can no longer do that abusive dance with you. And then what that leaves you with is the work of feeding the wolf of compassion. And how I did that in the case of my father was there was a lot of meditation in which I practiced Tonglen meditation, T-O-N-G-L-E-N, Tonglen. And I encourage you to go look up what that means, learn more about it, practice it yourself. It's also sometimes called sending and receiving practice. It's a great meditation if you're trying to work through some strong emotions. But I also began to, now that he was no longer in my life and could no longer hurt me, I was able to view my father through a more compassionate lens and understand that he was the way he was because he had been severely abused as a child. He had adopted the unhealthy patterns that he had because of that abuse. And I didn't need to have him in my daily life in order to work through what he had done or the difficult emotions that he had created in me and in our relationship. I could bring those to meditation. I could bring them to journaling and contemplation. I could work through them in therapy. I could resolve the work without him in it. And one of the meditation practices that I did so often with him that I found really helpful was shrinking him down to a child. So I would often imagine him saying all the terrible things that he would say to me, but he would do it in his five-year-old little boy voice. So I have a picture of him from when he was in kindergarten. He's a little kid, no more than five years old. Big old head, big ears. He's super cute. And I just imagine this kid saying these horrible things to me. And what I do in this visualization, this meditation exercise, is I sometimes I hug him or sometimes I take his little hands and I look him in the eyes and I tell him, I don't know who made you believe these things, but they're not true. And it very much changes the power dynamic between us, which is where I would feel like the little kid and he would feel like this towering figure who knew all and said all. But the reality is, is that he's that little boy, right? He's the abused, terrorized little boy. And that's why he became the man that he was. And so loving him from a distance feeding the wolf of compassion from a distance, that's possible even if you don't have someone in your life. So in short, how do we deal with difficult people? We feed the wolf of compassion. We do whatever we need to do to protect ourselves and our well-being, whether that be fully remove ourselves from a situation or just setting and reinforcing daily boundaries, such as, you know, topics we're not going to talk about or things we're not going to do or 
places we're not going to go together, things like that. And again, you can go back and listen to my boundaries episode if you want more information on that. But boundaries and feeding the wolf of compassion. This is where I've made the most progress when it comes to working with difficult people in my life. Okay, dear human, that is all I have for you today. But before I sign off, I would like to remind you that I have opened up the show to questions. So if you have a specific question or situation you want me to offer my thoughts or experience on, you can always email me at cory at coriamshram.com. Otherwise, I will be back next week with another episode of A Well-Cared-For Human. And until then, please take good care of you. This episode of A Well-Cared-For Human was written and produced by me, Cory Marie. The music was by Late Night Feeler and Esther Abrami. If you like what I'm doing here, please consider visiting my Patreon. For as little as a dollar a month, you get early ad-free access to the episodes, as well as a monthly patrons-only Q&A, bonus videos, and more. Not to mention that your Patreon support lets me know that you find value in the show and want it to continue. You can find me on Patreon by visiting www.patreon.com forward slash Marie. If you can't support the show financially, that is okay. You can still subscribe to the show, leave a review of the show, and recommend the show to your friends, not just the neurotic ones. All of this helps so much. And as always, thank you for listening.